Hello, how are you guys doing? What's up? All right. <laughs> you know, it's PG-13 today. Now, that could mean something to everybody a little bit different, right? Okay, so some of you, you're like, that was G-rated. That wasn't PG-13. Some of you are be like, man, that was R-rated, okay? So I just want to make you aware that, like Jen said, we have a killer, killer children's ministry with amazing people working over there. So if you want to take your child over there, please do. But you're also welcome for them to be here. But know that we're going to talk about some subject matter. It's a little strong today. So we are talking about the elephant in the church and the compromise of lust and sexual immorality. Oh, man. That's that series. You're like, you're like wait a second. Backing up to the series, we've done comparison. We've done idolatry. We've done, you're like, how many more things can you do throw at us? Well, we've got a few more, but it's going to be all right because we have a big Savior, right? Amen. So here's the deal, and it's a show of hands, or, or maybe not a show of hands. You may not want to admit this, but how many of you tried to negotiate a compromise? Now, Glenn Farrell's here. He's, he's the one that negotiates, you know, this kind of stuff out in the real world. But how many have you negotiated? Now, get ready, Glenn, because I know this is, this is serious stuff. How many of you have tried to negotiate a compromise with a three-year-old at the dinner table? Does it work? No. What about five years old? Some of you are like, I got a college kid that I still can't negotiate a compromise with because that's the deal. See, the world's definition about compromise is that it's 50-50. Imagine a pie chart with a line down the middle. You get a little bit, I get a little bit. That's what we think of in the world's sense of compromise. But the biblical, spiritually speaking, the heart when we talk about the spiritual definition, spiritually speaking, what is the biblical definition of compromise? Here's the definition. There is no compromise. It's, I will not compromise. There is no compromise. James says this, a double-minded man or woman should expect to receive nothing from God. King David, when he was crying out, said, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Jesus said, you can't serve one master and another master. You will end up loving one and hating the other. See, we weren't meant to have divided hearts. We are meant to have a whole heart before God. And so many right now, if you looked at your heart, just like that, that circle with the, the line in the middle, you would look at your heart and you'd see a line right in the middle. And you're double-minded. And you're divided. And God says it's meant to have a whole heart directed towards me. And see, Satan comes in and he says... But wait, 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 wait a second. Let's compromise. Let's negotiate a compromise. Greg Laurie, he's a pastor out of California, tells this story. He says, one time a hunter raised his rifle and took aim at a very large bear. When he was about to pull the trigger, the bear spoke in a soft, soothing voice. Isn't it better to talk than to shoot, the bear said? Let me ask you, what do you want? Let's negotiate the matter. Lowering his rifle, probably because he was stunned that a bear was talking to him, I don't know, replied, well, I want a fur coat. Good, said the bear. This is a negotiable question. I only want a full stomach, so let us negotiate a compromise. So they went into the woods. They sat down to negotiate, and after a time, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations had been successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had his fur coat. That's the 
compromise that the devil wants. See, in the Bible, there is no compromise. It's sort of like this. This is what Satan does. Because a bear is an apex predator, right? Well, Satan's an apex predator. Here we go. Hi, I'm an apex predator. Can I be your friend? And we're like, oh, look, he looks so cute. He's going to maul you. See, Satan is the same way. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And your heart becomes divided. James said, you cannot be double-minded and expect to receive anything from God. Give me an undivided heart, Lord God, that I might fear your name. And Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. See, the devil feeds on the double-minded. When you start to compromise, your spiritual life will begin to weaken. Many, many people get involved in premarital sex, pornography. Ladies, you're like, well, that's, this message is for guys. Okay, what about those romance books that have that scene in it that you read? And did you know that there's a rising pornography rate amongst girls? It's epidemic. It's almost the same as boys. And when we do these little compromises, these little compromises, and Satan says, it's all right. It creates a dullness and a divided heart towards the Lord, and we are far from him. And I, have, I know this from my own life. I know you know this. When you begin to compromise, what do you ask? Where are you, Lord? Let me tell you this. If you find yourself far from God, remember, he isn't the one that moved. See, the devil is an apex predator. He's had thousands of years to study humans. He knows your inward bent towards sympathy, towards sin, and your doubt about God's word. Think about it. What do you really believe about God's word? Is it the standard? Is living together with somebody before marriage, is it right or wrong? What do you truly believe? You see, he's had thousands of years to study you. And here's the two things that the devil always got the children of Israel with. And Paul warns us in the New Testament. Two things. The devil made the children of Israel fall in two areas of compromise. Idolatry and sexual immorality. It's his strategy. It's in his playbook. He doesn't have new tricks. It's been there from the beginning and it's going on right now. So today I want to talk about lust. And I want to make a bold statement up front. And this may step on toes a little bit. But let's do it, okay? Because I need my toes stepped on at times, okay? Here's the deal. Satan preys on those who haven't resolved what they think about God or sin. There are many, many of us that are half holding our swords, but the devil knows that in your heart, you have sympathetic position towards sexual sin. Here's what I want you to think about. People who consistently struggle with sexual sin are still trying to decide what they believe. Think about that. Think about that. Now listen to this. I'm going to read this. I just want you to think about this. If this is you, okay, you know very well it's wrong. You even grieve over it after you failed. However, whether you realize it or not, you have an inner sympathy towards sexual sin. Even though all of us are tempted sexually, not everyone has the same thinking about sex. People who consistently struggle with sex are still trying to decide what they believe. They haven't made up their minds whether it is good or bad, or if God's standard is the standard. 
Of course, on the outside, you admit it's wrong. However, the devil knows the truth about your real beliefs. Regardless of what you say, your inward sympathy towards sin and your doubt about God's word, let the enemy know that he has the ear of, an op- of a sleeping soldier. How many believers are sleeping soldiers? Amazing men and women of God. But somewhere in their heart, they're a little in confusion about these things. Is that you? Is that you? They simply won't completely commit to either camp, God's or Satan's. They're a friend to both sides and therefore inwardly conflicted, double-minded, James says. See, we need to understand that the battle is physical, but it's also a spiritual battle with an apex predator that's had thousands of years to study humans and knows what's going to get us. And I want to talk about this because in Proverbs 7, we see something. It's overcoming the spirit of lust. You may never have heard it that way, but listen, Proverbs 7 describes a woman which the Lord, it was probably a real example It was probably something that King Solomon even saw happening in his courts. We don't know exactly, but I believe the Lord put it in there to show us how the spirit of lust operates in our world, how it operates in us. So let me read this to you, okay? Proverbs 7, starting with verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin. That they may keep you from the immoral woman. From the seductress who flatters with her words. Now, before we go on. When he says the word of God will keep you from the immoral woman, I don't think he's, even though it's a real life example, I don't think he's speaking of a woman, but the spirit of lust. So I want you to think about it in this way. And by the way, ladies, you're like, of course, the Bible is using women as an example. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Remember, this is Proverbs. It uses for wisdom, a woman. Okay? And many, many men play the seductor and the predator. And men, you're either a protector like Jesus or a predator like Satan. You have to make that choice in life. But ladies, realize this is talking about the spirit of lust. And this can be a man or a woman, okay? And remember, wisdom is also described as a woman in the same book in Proverbs before we go on. So here we go. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. And I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. Now, he's not putting down young people, but he's saying in this group of young people that there is somebody already entrapped by the spirit of lust. He's already been compromised. Little by little, his heart has been compromised to come to this point. No one ever falls overnight. You can see a chipping away of small compromise. Compromise happens over time in seemingly insignificant, harmless ways. So he's saying the reason he's void of understanding is that he's already gone to bondage to the spirit. And the spirit will rob you of wisdom and understanding. So let me keep going. Verse eight on, your, on the screen. Passing along the street near her corner and he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black, dark night. Let me make a comment about the spirit of lust. It will always lead you to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. It will so influence you, you'll start to plan 
when you can be there and how you can be there. Make that innocent call to that coworker. Up at night, open up the computer. And it begins to dominate your thoughts. And you begin to plan it out to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Verse 10. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot. That's, this is a key phrase here. Because it's saying she was disguised like a harlot. That she wasn't a harlot because they used to cover their faces. She's disguising herself as a harlot. So keep that in mind. And a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Again, I don't think this is talking about a woman in general. It could be a woman or a man. But it's talking about the spirit of lust. Look, the spirit of lust in our society is loud and rebellious. Do you agree? It is overtaking our society. It goes on to say, her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. Why? She was trying to find this single young man. So she caught him and kissed him. That's a really interesting thing it says right there. That's an interesting thing. Because here's the thing. I think that something, Satan does something that's always common throughout these things. Remember I said that the passage reveals the game plan of the spirit of lust? And within that there's always a shock or a surprise. He is shocked and surprised. She kisses him and he's shocked. This reveals how the enemy always tips his hand. He always tips his hand. He always springs the trap. At this point, you should always know this is Satan right now. This is too good to be true. It's a shock. It's a surprise. And Satan is laying his hands on the table, hoping you'll fall into the trap. And she catches this young man and she kisses him just like that. Please hear me. When you get shocked at the workplace, on the internet, wherever it is, you need to turn and run. See, this is what the spirit of lust always does. We see something in a movie, something on television, something on the internet, on Instagram. A man says something to you in the office that your husband hasn't said in a long time. A woman says something to you and it shocks you and it surprises you. Listen, this is a sign from God. Satan may have brought this, but this is a sign from God. He's trying to say, when you get shocked, turn around and run. And she grabs the guy and kisses him. For a man, hey, I'm wanted. I have something to pursue again. For a wife or young girl, he thinks something about me. He's saying the words I long to hear, that my heart longs to hear. It is a sign from God that the enemy is tipping his hand and revealing he's the one out to destroy you. That Satan is out to destroy you. It goes on and says, with an imprudent face, she says to him, that imprudent face is a hard, confident, bold, rebellious faith. This is when the spirit of lust begins to try to dominate you and say, it's okay. Goes on in verse 14. This is crazy. I have peace offerings with me today. So she's speaking to this young man. I have peace offerings with me today. Today I've paid my vows. Let me explain to you what she means. Here's what she's saying. I went to church today. That's what she's saying. Well, I worship and I pray. I'm good with God. I'm clean. And I brought some peace offerings from church so that after we've sinned, we can offer some peace offerings together. 
Guys, the divorce rate is the same in the church as it is in the world. The porn rate among pastors and born-again Christians is the same as it is in the world. The spirit of lust is rampant in the church as it is in the world. It dominates the world and it's dominating the church. And the elephant in the church is that we're good with it. Well, I just can't overcome it. I tried. And we're cool with it. And not shocked when we need to change this. We got to change this. The lie of the enemy is that it will be all good after. That it won't destroy me. That God is good with it. We know it's wrong as believers, but, but God's good with it, right? We've prayed together after we did it. You see, the spirit of love. Lust will cause such deception. The height of deception in you. And it will destroy you. The height of, de- of deception is to believe you can go into the holy of holies before almighty God and be committing this. I know this is strong. Hold on. Verse 15. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face and I have found you. It goes on. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. In other words, there's always preparation as you go down this road. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and alloys and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Do you notice how the spirit of lust starts to use that word love? Love, love, it's all about love, it's love. Man, our society uses that word a lot. God is love. He defines love. We don't define love. But see, lust always masquerades as love. Love is from heaven. Lust is from hell. Lust masquerades as love. In fact, the world calls it what? Making love. The world calls it making love. Making love is not a one-night stand. Making love is spending your lifetime with that one special amazing woman, my girl right over there, for ten over 10 years who bear two of my children. That's making love. But a spirit of lust calls something totally different love. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. Here's what the spirit of lust says. You won't get caught. It deceives you into thinking it's all taken care of with God. I got the peace offerings, right? I went to church and you will not get caught. So here's what the spirit of lust is saying. You'll be the first person in history to not get caught. And we buy it. We buy it. That's what it says. You can do this and it won't affect you. It goes on in verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. That's the death shot. As a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost him his life. See, some people believe Solomon was watching this in his courts and writing about it. And what was the penalty for this in the kingdom? Death. He did not know it would cost him his life. You see, 
You may think you can get away with it, but the king is watching. The king is watching. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to his or her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And all, all, all who were slain by her were strong men. You think you're a strong man or a woman in Christ? Watch out. We are not above falling. We are not above falling. And it goes on and says this. Her house, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. The chambers of death. I just have to be real with you. This is the scripture, okay? This is for our protection. Solomon saying, please, listen, I plead with you, listen to this. And I want to say this. I'm going to say this boldly. If this is a problem in your life, and you are stiff-necked, refusing to come back to God and repenting of it, there's a problem. There is a problem. And you may want to check something. Have you truly made it right with God? Is he in your life? Are you persisting in that sin? Now look, I know this is a hard message. And I know there's so many out here. You may have committed adultery. Some of you already have been before the Lord and it's been forgiven. And right now Satan's condemning you. Satan's like, see, you're trash. You're trash. If you've asked forgiveness of it, as far as from east is from west, he has removed our transgressions from us. You know what it says in 1 John? The blood speaks a better word. It stands in your defense. And when you come to Jesus, he says, I will stand in your defense. Because at the feet of Jesus is the place for the adulterer. Remember, Jesus said, it's the sick that know they need a doctor. He didn't come for those who don't think they need a doctor. We all need a doctor. We all need to be at the feet of Jesus He is our advocate, and his blood speaks a better word. So let me give you three words to describe the progression of the spirit of lust, okay? The first one is this, it's desire. Desire. It starts off with desire. This is what you need to know. The word desire means lust. In fact, many times the word lust is translated desire. In the Greek, the word is epikineo, and it's a neutral word. It's not good or bad. It can go either way. Luke twenty two fifteen is a good example of this. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Those words can be translated lust. Obviously, Jesus didn't mean evil lust, but what he's saying is fervent desire. Listen, God gave us a good, healthy, natural desire for lust and sex that can be fulfilled in a healthy, godly way. But it can never be filled in an evil way. The Bible describes bad lust as worldly lust, deceitful desire, evil desire. The Bible is trying to tell us that God gave us a pure desire and Satan turns it into an evil desire. And when we turn down that road, when we are overtaken by that, that's when we go into bondage and the spirit of lust moves in. Galatians 5, 16 says this, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do what you wish. 
We see that last phrase as a negative, but it can also be a positive. Here's the deal. You can be so in love with Jesus and so want to do and desire, lust, what God wants you to do that you don't do the other thing. We can also be subject to the spirit and not the flesh. Hold on a second. Galatians is saying there's these two forces working together. The Holy Spirit, God's spirit working in you and the flesh. Let me just show you something because this is what the spirit of God is trying to produce in you. And it comes from Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. The word works is the work for energio, to energize, be active, mighty, rouse into activity. Here's a translation of what that could say. God works or energizes you so you are aware of and choose what he wants and then are empowered to work it out and get it done. So the Holy Spirit wants to produce this energy in you. The Holy Spirit is not energy, but often the Bible describes what the Holy Spirit wants to do as dunamis, dynamite, power, energio. And these two forces are at work. Listen to this, because the opposite is true. Listen, it says this, for we, are in, for we were in the flesh, sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. It's the same word. The flesh is also producing an energy, a power, trying to dominate you, and they are fighting against each other. This is my point. The sins of the flesh, we tend to think of it as something we just do. Well, I got angry. I've said a cuss word. That's only part. Sin is not just something you did. It's the flesh. It's actually a living spiritual entity that fights to produce itself in you. And if you let it, it will dominate your mind. Think about unforgiveness. What does that produce in you? Romans 8, 5 through 6 says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. The mind controlled by the flesh is death. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Remember, it's the battlefield of your mind. And the flesh is producing energio. That's why it feels like we can't overcome sometimes. But the Holy Spirit wants to produce power in your life. It says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision. The second thing is deception. It leads us in deception. See, bad lust is a deception and lust never satisfies and you will always want more. You feed off something that can never satisfy. The more eat you eat, the more you are starved. Only in a godly, pure marriage relationship can you be satisfied. But in an impure relationship, if you watch pornography, if you get involved with somebody, your cravings get worse and you go into more bondage. It's a trap. And you're never satisfied. Listen to this. Proverbs 27, 20. Hell and destruction destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Habakkuk 2.5. Indeed, because he transgresses my wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home. That means adultery. Because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. Ezekiel 16.28. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians, because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Lust is an empty promise causing more emptiness. 
And the last thing is death. Love always brings life. Lust always brings death. James 1.14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. It's again that Greek word epikineo, which some of your Bibles say lust and enticed. Then when lust or desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When it is full grown, grown, when you remain in this, it brings forth death. Remember we read in Proverbs, he did not know it would cost him his life. Romans says this, therefore brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Love always brings life. Lust always brings death. Maybe it's not an immediate physical death. Remember Adam and Eve? They were told they would die if they ate of the tree. Remember they didn't die physically immediately. But they did die immediately spiritually. How many people die spiritually because of lust? Their spiritual passion for the Lord dies because of lust, their spiritual hunger for God, the desire, because lust is a desire. How many families and marriages have been sacrificed on this altar because your mind is divided and it robs you from all things? Guys, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, evil spirits to oppress, and ultimately, the ultimate goal is to kill you. Listen, if you're in bondage to this area, whether it's obvious to you or not, listen. It's already affected your finances and your marriage and your children. It's already affected your health and your joy and your spiritual energy the Holy Spirit wants to bring you. So what is the solution? Jack Hayford is one of my favorite pastors out of California. He says this, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. Many churches go to one extreme or the other. Some of them believe in deliverance. okay. But you also need to train your mind to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Others think it's all about discipleship. And they ignore the spiritual realm that's there. We need both. Second Corinthians shows this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's talking about deliverance. And casting down arguments. That's talking about discipleship. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. A few sermons ago, ago, I spent a lot of time on that passage right there. But this is for me. I got to always keep coming back to this. Because it's vitally important we get to this. Because this is the discipleship part. How we renew our minds. The Greek word for captivity is to march thoughts. The thoughts you have that are contrary to God's word. And to make them sit down and to listen to Jesus. You need to march the thoughts of lust over there to sit under Jesus and to listen to him. That the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to them. And the energy, the power of the Spirit will come. See, a stronghold is neutral. It's kind of like desire and lust. It can be good or bad because the Lord is our stronghold, the Bible says, right? The Lord is our stronghold. So here's the problem. Life is hard at work or at home. We get tired. We have a fight with the wife and we run to the stronghold 
And you were meant to run to the stronghold. But the problem is, is we run to the wrong stronghold. Listen up. Here's this important part. Here's a simple definition of a stronghold. It's a train of thought. A train of thought. And your mind is Grand Central Station. Do you see it? Trains are coming in and out. Grand Central Station. It's your mind. There are trains of thought pulling in and out of the station every second, leading to a destination. Your destiny, your destination, depends on which train you board. You have a decision to make. The enemy sends trains of lustful thoughts in our minds. If you get on those trains, they're headed towards death. Death of your family, death of your marriage, death of your business or career, maybe even the death of your life. That's where they're headed. The more you get on those trains, the easier it is to get on those trains when you're stressed. But what I'm saying is don't get on those trains. Get on the train of life. See, you can't keep thoughts from coming into your head. It's an old expression, but thoughts are like birds. You can't keep thoughts from flying over your head, right? Well, you know, I don't know if they want to fly over my head, but you can keep them from nesting in your head, right? It's the same thing with our thoughts. And you'll find the more you get on the train of life, the more you train your mind, the more you renew your mind, that the passions, the bad lust, are not as strong. That's what we need to do. Take it by spear point. Make it listen to Jesus. Renew your mind with the word of God. There's a small story in the Bible of Abimelech, and Abimelech is chasing the men and women of a place called Shechem. Well, the men and women of Shechem, they run back in. They run into the stronghold of Shechem, and it's this big tower. Just to show you how big this was, thousands of people fit into this tower, this fortress, this stronghold. So Abimelech, chasing them down, cuts a bunch of wood and puts it around the stronghold, and he lights it on fire, and they all die. You see, that's what happens when you run to the wrong stronghold. You gotta run to the right stronghold. You have the choice. God is giving you choice. Life and death are ever before you. First Peter says this, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fresh, fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. If you go into bondage in this area, you also have depression, emptiness, and suicidal thoughts. I almost took the suicidal thoughts out of there. And I felt like the Lord had me put that in there. And I don't know if there's someone today, maybe that's you. I want to tell you there is hope for tomorrow. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness. Sinners find a place at the foot of Jesus. His blood speaks a better word and you can be healed and whole and forgiven. He loves you. Satan wants to make you think there's no tomorrow. God says there's many tomorrows when you walk with me. Come to him. If you remember at the very first of the message, I said this. If you find yourself far from God, remember, he isn't the one that moved. And there's the solution. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you but I'm stained by sin. There's no way I can draw near to God. There's no way I can go to him. Look what I've done. 
Look what I've done to my family. Look what I've done to my business. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He gave his very own son to have you and he loves you no matter what you've done. And he can bring healing to your heart and your mind and walk in the spirit. As the band comes up, every head bowed, every eye closed. We normally say this and and some people do this and don't do this. Today I would ask that you would do it. For the sake of the people around you, for the sake of the person in front of you, if today, with every eye closed, even the tech team, band, when you get up here, close your eyes, please. Some of you have heavy hearts because this is where you've been. This is what's happened in your life. It's happening right now. You're walking down this path and you feel like you're in bondage. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, please, listen, please do this. For the sake of those around you, if you're in bondage right now, will you just look up at me? I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Just ask him to forgive you. Ask him to break the bondage in your life right now. Maybe for the first time you need to ask Jesus into your heart. I've been talking about the Holy Spirit. It's friendship with the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity and he's a person and he wants to have a relationship with you. If you don't know Jesus today, just invite him and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the cross. Cleanse me with the blood of the lamb. Holy Spirit, fill me. If that's you today, if you gave your life to Christ for the first time, will you just look at me? And I may not see you, that's okay. If you did that for the first time today, we want to know about that. You need to write it on your connection card. I just want to pray over us again. You're worthy to come to worship when you accept what Jesus did on the cross for you. And he can heal you. He can heal your marriage. He can heal your children. He can heal the destruction that these things have brought on. That's our God. Jesus is a healer. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. He is our healer. He wants to do that in your life right now. He's the God who loves you and he gave his son for you. So let me just pray. Lord God, we're all sinners at your feet. Who are we, oh God? You are perfect in power. You never sinned, Lord Jesus. But you became sin who knew no sin so that we could live. Lord, deliver us from bondage. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from this. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. Oh Lord God, for those who have sinned before you, thank you that you fully gladly accept them when they just simply ask for forgiveness. It's that easy. Thank you for the life that you give us and the healing that you give us. Oh Lord, please don't allow the evil one to condemn, but bring peace and life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and let's worship?